So this teaching from Jesus that we're talking about this morning is obviously a passage about prayer. It's one of the most famous passages on prayer actually in the whole New Testament. And it is an encouraging passage, but also has some difficult questions that it might bring up as well. Right? Such as how we align what we just heard with what we sometimes call unanswered prayer. And we will talk about all that this morning concerning prayer. But even more so, as we begin this passage, rather than just thinking about this as a passage on prayer, here's just two other and maybe even more important things we should think of this passage as being about. Two other things. First, we need to remember from the outset where we are here in Matthew, and especially where we are here in the Sermon of the Mount by Jesus. Because when we do that, what we can see from this context is that this passage isn't actually just a general passage on prayer, but even more specifically, this is a passage that comes up here in the sermon of Jesus's, because think of it this way, so far in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus has told us a lot of things to do and to be like. Right? Think of the Beatitudes to start, or think of Jesus' more general command to seek first his kingdom, or think of last week's command to judge not, and more. And so we have been told to do a lot of things as those in Jesus' kingdom. And why does that matter here? Well, because that said, essentially what this passage then is, is Jesus now telling us very plainly how you and I can do all that. And so that's the, that's the first thing to realize about this passage. Yes, it's about prayer. But why is it here in this Sermon on the Mount? Well, it's because we as Jesus' disciples, if we've really been listening to Jesus, we should be feeling, but man, how can I do this, Jesus? And, and in basic, this is his answer. Ask, and it will be given. Or as one commentator I read this week said on this quote, The Sermon on the Mount lays down the righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, and love expected of Jesus' followers. And now Jesus here assures them such gifts are theirs if sought through prayer. And so that's the first thing to realize about this passage. But then second, as we begin, the second thing to realize on all this is that I think if we actually had to sum up the most foundational topic that this paragraph is about, it is about prayer and it is about how we can follow Jesus. But even more so, this passage is most deeply addressing who our God, who our Father in heaven truly is and what he's like. And I say that because that's where Jesus is going in this paragraph. He does want us to pray, but even more so, as you heard in verse 11 in that scripture reading, what Jesus actually here above all wants for us is to come to grips with who our God, with with who our Father in heaven truly is for us right now and how he genuinely loves us. And we'll talk about that this morning more as we go as well. But anything, but anyway, so those are just two things to keep in mind as we go through all this. It is about how we follow Jesus, and ultimately, though, it's Jesus describing to us and who really is the living God. What, what is he like toward you and me as followers of Jesus? But all it said, that then does bring us now to our outline for how we'll now go through what Jesus says to us here. And as for our time together, we'll always go verse by verse through this paragraph here. And we're going to do so this morning in three sections. Three sections. First, we're going to begin in verses 7 through 8. And there we'll just simply see the amazing promises that Jesus makes there. Which then second will lead us to verses 9 through 11 
where we'll see Jesus reason with us as to why we can be sure of these promises. And with those two sections, technically we'll have covered the verses of this paragraph. But that'll then, in our third section this morning, lead us to actually zoom in here on verse 11 again and talk specifically about how Jesus says that our Father will give good things to us if we ask him. And we'll do that because that little phrase, good things, from Jesus is so helpful to tie everything here together and to even answer some questions we may have on all of this. And so in summary, three sections. First, Jesus' promises here. Second, why we can be sure of his promises. And then third, focusing in on how Jesus says our Father will give us good things. But all that said, let's then dive in together, church, and begin our first section here. And for this, again, we're in verses 7 and 8, and we're looking at the amazing promises that Jesus makes here in this passage. And we're going to take these two verses one at a time. And so first, look down at your Bibles at verse 7, just verse 7. So Jesus is continuing teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount, and he famously now says this to us, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So this verse is intentionally and beautifully poetic by Jesus because he, he's talking about prayer, but to get across what prayer is, he repeats, right, the similar idea three times with three different pairs. Pairs, which include something we do and then include something that God does back. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And those three pairs are repeating the same thing in a way as they're all describing prayer. And yet, many people have noted that concerning our side of prayer here, Jesus actually is probably hinting at some kind of increasing urgency in each pair. Because think about it, asking is the most general term, but then seeking is a little more intense as it's talking about really chasing after something, which then finally knocking is the most intense in a way because it implies some asking and seeking. But with knocking, we've now come up against an obstacle, a barrier that needs to be opened. And so all that said, so that's what we're to do in this verse. Jesus' point is clear. We are to ask, seek, and knock. And briefly for all of us, just a quick application on that. I do encourage each of us to maybe think of those verbs when we think about praying rather than just think of the verb to pray. And I know that might sound silly, but sometimes just saying I'm going to pray maybe sounds somewhat just a religious thing that we do. But Jesus apparently wants you and me to think of prayer as genuinely talking to God and asking him something. He wants us to think of it as a way of seeking God and as similar to coming up against an obstacle and knocking and knowing that God is there and will help. And so ask, seek, knock. That's our side here in verse 7. But then what about God's response? Well, Jesus' promise to us is we ask and he gives. We seek and somehow we will find, which assumes God will help us find. And then finally, Jesus promises we knock and God opens. And so those are God's sides. And again, those are all promises here from Jesus. Which then, and, and finally on this verse, leads us to actually talk about one more thing here. One more thing. And this is something I didn't know actually until studying all this this week. But I do think it's quite important. It's a little confusing at first, but stick with me because it's significant. And this is that we need to know that in the original language here in verse 7, the word it, 
which shows up in the asking and the knocking part here in verse 7. You can see that word it is not actually in the original language. And now it, it, one could argue that it's obviously implied by the verbs ask and knock, but actually the word it is not there. And basically every tra- English translation includes it. They say ask and it will be given, knock and it will be opened. But that's mainly just because it's really awkward in English to not include that word it. But literally, as one commentator I read this week put it, quote, it in somewhat seven is so- verse 7 is somewhat misleading. The word does not refer to any particular thing requested, but forms part of a divine passive construction that means ask and God will give you what he deems best. End quote. And now again, I might have lost you, that might sound confusing, but in basic, the point is, Jesus therefore, actually here, in the original language, isn't talking about asking for one specific thing per se and then that specific thing being exactly what will be given to you. Because the word it is actually not there in verse 7. Instead, importantly, what Jesus is doing and is he's saying, he's promising, if you ask, God will give. If you seek, God will make you find. If you knock, God will open. And and therefore, all that said, this verse then is less about specific petitions and it's more about what prayer is and what God is like in prayer. And, And what is prayer and what is our God like? Well, prayer is asking, seeking, and knocking. And God in prayer to respond to all that comes with giving, finding, and opening. And so that's verse seven. And now we will talk about some questions you then may have on that concerning unanswered prayer. Again, we'll do that in our third section this morning. But for now, we should probably just hear verse 7 and notice these amazing promises from Jesus. And not just notice them, but really we should hear that church and be so encouraged to pray. But that's not even all that's here in this section. Because that now leads Jesus to verse 8. And this verse is interesting. Because honestly it's very repetitive after verse 7. But Jesus repeats it for a reason. And he adds one thing that wasn't in verse 7. And so let's look down there now. So that was verse 7. Which leads Jesus to say this. Verse 8. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So, so as you can hear, that's basically verse 7 again. But, but what's the major difference that Jesus, being the best teacher that's ever existed, what does he change and add? Well, notice in verse 7, Jesus stated this all as a promise to you. But it could be that you and I could hear verse 7 and we think, sure, that might be true of this or that person to those who are so holy and so good at following you, Jesus. But verse 7 can't apply to me. But that's why I think Jesus adds this whole verse 8 here. Because notice, verse 7 was to you. But in case you just kind of think that this promise can't actually apply to you, Jesus says, for everyone who seeks, who asks, receives. Right, you see that? Meaning, church, this is not for some special thing, only reserved for special Christians or super followers of Jesus. Instead, if you and I trust in Jesus and are in his kingdom... This promise is to you. These promises are to everyone in the king's kingdom. Because remember on that, just to be clear, Jesus here is talking to those in his kingdom. Jesus is talking to those who have trusted him and embraced his gospel. And we know that actually because in verse 11, he's about to call God your father in heaven. 
which in the Bible and from Jesus is only true of those who have genuinely trusted in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so Jesus is only talking to actual followers of him here, to Christians. But again, for all of us, that said, for us as Christians, he is clear that to everyone, not just super spiritual Christians, but everyone, if you ask, you will receive. The promise is that great, that beautiful, and that broad. So that's verses 7 and 8. Again, I know you may have questions about that. We'll address them in our third section. But for now, after hearing all that, what we should probably feel is just this amazing encouragement, right? This amazing encouragement. Because think of it this way. Again, we have heard a lot from Jesus to do in this Sermon on the Mount. Plus, we all know how much we don't do what he says and how often we don't measure up. And therefore, that may make us feel, number one, as if God actually might not really like me because I mess up so much. And or number two, that might make us feel that as if we do ask God for something, then we might also have to do something else, something special to make sure he hears me and he answers me because we know I don't deserve to be heard. And yet, Jesus comes to us and he wants each of us as his followers to know, yes, it is true, you and I do not deserve to be heard. And we know that because in verse 11, if you skim your eyes down really quickly, Jesus is about to say to us in this very passage that we're evil. (laughs) And so yes, brothers and sisters, we do not deserve to be heard by God. But man, amazingly, we are heard. (laughs) And not only are we heard, But prayer, apparently, in our relationship with God is such that the truth is he is so for you and me in Christ, promising to always respond to us and answer us. So that's our first section, verses 7 and 8, which now leads us to our second section. For this, we'll now be in verses 9 through 11. And again, we're going to see Jesus reason with us why we can be sure of these promises. And so those are the promises which now leads Jesus to, like he did last week, to bring home his point to us by first asking us a couple questions, a couple questions. And for these, we'll look at verses 9 and 10 to start. So Jesus continues on, and now he says this, verses 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? So so that word ask there in both these questions is the same word Jesus used in verses 7 and 8. And what's his point? Well, clearly, it's that concerning you and me, we know that if, for example, our child were to ask us for bread, we wouldn't respond by giving him a stone. Nor if our child were to say, ask for some fish, would we hand him a snake? And that comparison of bread and stone and and fish and snake is intentional by Jesus. Because it's not just that a stone isn't bread, but it's actually technically that a stone could look like bread, right? Meaning a stone could be round and like a roll of bread. But the point is, even if a stone was bread-shaped, it of course wouldn't provide the sustenance the child needs. Right? And the same actually goes for the fish-serpent analogy, because we may hear that and think, well, a fish doesn't really look like a snake or a serpent. But Jesus clearly here is probably thinking of a more eel-like looking fish, which actually does look like a snake. And so this is similar to the breadstone analogy, and yet actually this fish-snake analogy is even more intense. Because think about it. If, you're, if you gave your child a rock when they asked you for bread, that rock wouldn't provide sustenance, sure, but it wouldn't hurt them per se. But here, if you gave your child a snake instead of a fish, it not only wouldn't provide the sustenance, but it could hurt them. 
And so in summary, that, that's Jesus' questions and his analogies here. And he's using all that to show us for now that again, we know we don't do that. Right? Treating our children we love by giving them something that might look the same, but tricking them and knowing it actually won't satisfy or provide for them, or especially knowing it might hurt them. And yet, as we'll see in a second, Jesus' point is really, so that's us. But what then does that show us about God? But for that, let's now hear Jesus himself just make his point. So that's his questions, verses 9 and 10, which finally leads him to powerfully conclude this passage like this in verse 11. Look down at your Bibles, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So again, Jesus is here comparing us to God to make his point. And concerning us, again, sure, we're loving like that to our children, not giving them stones and snakes, and yet Jesus' point is first, and yet we're evil. <laughs> and, and amazingly, I just, I just hope that you see that Jesus says that for yourself, and, and that he says that here, that we're evil. And we'll actually talk about that a lot more, actually, in our conclusion this morning. But Jesus says, if we're evil and we know how to genuinely love and give good gifts to our children, then, quote, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? His point really is, you and I are evil and we do love our children. And so how much more does God, who isn't evil, and hearing that, you can tell this, this verse then, this, this whole reasoning and argument from Jesus then, is, on the one hand, quite easy to understand. Meaning, right, we get this. We're like this, and we know we're messed up, and so how much more does God, who love us, and that we know he can give good gifts to us? And so on the one hand, right, you could, we could probably all agree, this logic is easy to understand. And yet, brothers and sisters, on the other hand, do you know what isn't so easy here? <laughs> What isn't so easy for sinners like us to come to grips with on all of this? Well, it isn't easy to actually believe this and deeply know that this is true. To, to actually know and trust this about God and to deep down in our bones pray and interact with God in this way. And, that, and, that, and that's really what I want all of us to now just focus in on all of us. And as we open with this morning, it's here now, church, where we really do see that this is a passage about prayer and it is about how we get help to follow Jesus, absolutely. But again, it is even more fundamentally about God and who he is and how we think of him. And, and this is where Jesus' reasoning and questions are really fascinating. And, and honestly, if you hear anything this morning, I hope it's about, it is what we're about to talk about. Because think about it, what's, what's crazy is that when we consider all of this, what's so amazing about us and what we all struggle with to some degree is we take Jesus' argument here and we basically flip it on its head. And, and doing so, we essentially put ourselves in the place of God and we kind of put God in our place, our evil place. And I know that sounds confusing, but stick with me. Here's what I mean. So think about it. What are we as sinners prone to do when we think about ourselves? Well, we probably hear verses 9 and 10 about the bread and stone and the fish and snake analogies and giving them to our children. And we think, well, well of course. I would never give my son a stone or a snake when they need bread or fish. Because I love them. Right? And that's true. And Jesus actually assumes that about us. 
And so that part is easy for us to understand. We assume that about ourselves. But then, what do we sometimes assume about God? Well, crazy enough, we assume that we're obviously like this. But then towards God, you and I can be skeptical. Or to be blunt, what we can do is we can flip all of this on its head and assume and know that, of course, we're loving toward our kids, but then we kind of subtly think, but God, man, he, he might not be kind towards his. He might not love me. Or to say it another way, we basically think, God can't love me as much as I love my kids. Do you get that? And, and honestly, we all do this. I do this all the time. Think about it this week. This is the main thing that stuck with me by far out of this whole passage because I know I deeply love each of my kids. And you know, if you have kids, you love your kids. And even if you do not have kids, you still totally know what it's like to genuinely, really love someone. We all know what love is. And then when it comes to God, sure, we confess biblically and theologically that it's God who ultimately, as the Bible says, is love, right? God is love. We know that, we say that, and we know that our love is just an echo of God's love, and it is. But then, again, when it comes to us sometimes really thinking about and interacting with God our Father, I, and I'm sure you, we are sometimes hesitant, aren't we? We know deep down that when we love someone, we really do love them. We wouldn't trick them or harm them. And Jesus says, and we're evil. <laughs> but then, crazy enough, when it comes to God, we can think worse of him. We confess God is love, and in the next breath, or really the next thought, we think, but he doesn't truly love me. He won't give me the good thing I need. He may give me the stone or the snake. But that's where, brothers and sisters, we, we all really need to see how backwards we've got it. <laughs> because it's not, in reality, it is not, we're so loving and God sometimes may be like us. That's honestly insane. <laughs> Instead, in reality, the living God, your Father in heaven, if you are in Christ, he is so much better than we can ever fathom. He has never sinned. He has always been and is still perfectly loving towards his children. He really is. And so really, any love that you and I have, say, for our kids or for someone else, and when we know that we really do love them and we would never trick them and give them a stone or a snake, that's to make us realize, and if I'm like that and I'm messed up, then I can know with 100% certainty that the perfect loving God will give me whatever good he sees fit. Or say most simply, any, any drip of deep, genuine love that you and I truly feel in this life, like say for our kids, it should point us to the even truer and deeper ocean of God's love. And God's love for you and for me. Which all means that really... I do think that the overall application of this passage isn't just to pray more, nor is it just to believe that God will hear and answer us. But one last time, the biggest takeaway from all this is to really take note of and maybe change how you and I view God. Because do you know what sin does in all of us? 
Or really, do you know what the devil's scheme against us has basically always been since the fall entered into our history all the way back in Genesis 3? Well, essentially, and everyone in here, we really need to know this. Essentially, sin in us and the devil's scheme against us has always been to make us view God as the evil one. To make us view God as the evil one. But again, if you are here this morning, please just know that is simply not true. You and I can and do love people, yes, and we're messed up. And so imagine how much more God who isn't messed up, truly loves. And finally on this, if you are here this morning, and and you are here and, and you do think that God is the evil one, and that maybe you or that we as human beings are the right ones, which is honestly the basic assumption of all humanistic and modernistic thinking, then following Jesus here in love, let me just say to you that you do have it totally backwards. Because look at yourself, or look at us as humans in our history. We are not the pinnacle of love. Instead, the truth is God, Father, Son, Spirit, eternally God, is the source of all love. And he has always been, and he still is perfectly loving. And especially for us as people, let's realize, God only has said that he's loving, but he has proved it to us over and over, and especially in the gospel, where he did what needed to be done to bring us back to him securely and forever by his grace and kindness alone. And so one last time, honestly, we all know how messed up we are. And again, Jesus is saying, if we know real love and give good gifts out of that love, then that should really fuel us all to so deeply know that God is so willing to give when we ask, to make us find when we seek, and to open whenever we knock. He's that willing and that loving. Let's believe it, church. And so that's our first two sections. And with that... We have now technically covered all the verses here and what Jesus says, but that now leads us to our final and third section. And here, we're now going to zoom in on something that Jesus said in verse 11, and that's how he talks about how our Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. And just so you know, the reason we're going to do this is because zooming in on this, I think, will really bring some clarity to all we're talking about and even might answer some questions you're having. And so first, though, let's just read verse 11 one last time. And as you hear this, just notice Jesus' emphasis on good things. Verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so, so here's the overarching reason why I want us to focus on this idea of good things. It's because here now, and really with that one phrase, it's here that we come to understand what Jesus is thinking about is going on with all this asking, seeking, and knocking. And, and knowing what Jesus is thinking about going on, is going on, number one, it helps us to understand the biggest question of this section concerning unanswered prayer. And then number two, it also directs us to what Jesus thinks you and I should pray about. And so let's just talk about those two things one at a time. First, the question of unanswered prayer. And then second, how this phrase, good things, shows us what we should pray about. And so first, let's finally now address the question that, of, that you might have of what we call unanswered prayer. And to be honest, this is often a big issue when people just quote verses 7 or 8 here and other verses like them, and then they think 
that as long as they ask for something in faith, then they'll get it. But then they often don't get it. And so what's the answer to that? Well, to begin, the answer in other texts could be that we're not asking in faith. And that, and that can be true. But honestly, let me tell you, that is not the best, nor I think the biggest biblical answer when it comes to unanswered prayer. Because the truth is, even in the Bible, we may genuinely have faith when we ask for something and not get what we ask for. And so what then? What's the answer to that? Well, the ultimate answer comes from this idea from Jesus that our Father gives good things to those who ask them. Good things. And that's the answer because first, most basically, that then does show us that Jesus here in this whole passage is assuming that we're asking for what he defines as good things. Good things. You can see that. And just as a quick side note on that, just so you know, this phrase, good things, is actually just one word in the original Greek. and It's just the adjective good basically made into a plural noun. And I want you to know that because we kind of struggle with translating that into English because we could translate it as goods, but that's even worse. And so we settle for this idea of good things. But that word things isn't actually there. Instead, it's just the word good made into a noun, which maybe could be better paraphrased as God just giving us whatever's good, which could be good things, good abilities, or good emotions, or good words, or good witness, or good conversions to Jesus, or good thoughts, or good energy to live for him. You get the point. But anyways, so that's this good things. And Jesus is saying that defines what we're asking for. And concerning unanswered prayer, that matters, church, because that means now, after reading verse 11, the promise from Jesus to ask and you will receive, therefore, doesn't actually mean that God just automatically will give us any and everything. Instead, he gives us good things. And think about it, this actually makes a ton of sense when we're tracking what Jesus is saying and promising. Because say, for example, we were to ask God for what he knows is a harmful serpent. Would he be obliged to give it to us? Would we give our child a poisonous snake even if they asked for it? Of course not. And therefore, all that said, first on this phrase in unanswered prayer, this means that prayer is, if prayer is unanswered, meaning we're not actually getting the specific thing we asked for, it may be because in reality, we were asking for something that we thought was good for us, but God knows it actually might not have been. But then second, and more briefly on this phrase in unanswered prayer, we still may wonder though, but, but what if I, what I asked for is clearly good? then why wouldn't God give it to me? And the answer to that is because notice, Jesus does promise God will give whatever's good. But he does not necessarily say it will be a one-for-one exchange exactly what we asked for. You see that? And that even brings us back to the idea of the word it not being in verse 7 as well because the promise here in this whole passage, therefore, is not asking for a specific thing and then always being given that specific thing. Instead, the promise is ask and you will be given whatever's good. And really, that actually should be an encouragement to us. It should give us peace. It shouldn't discourage us. Because that means if your or my prayer is unanswered, in reality, it is not that our Father didn't hear or that he didn't answer, but instead it's that he's answering with a different whatever's good. And you can take heart that our infinitely loving Father is the one who knows better than we do. (laughs) 
But all that said, so that's how good things answers this question of unanswered prayer. But that's not actually all this good things shows us here. Because then for now a totally different topic concerning this phrase, it's also helpful to zoom in on this phrase good things because it does show us more of what Jesus thinks we should pray about, right? It clarifies for us what we should ask for. And what should we pray about and ask for? Well, again, Jesus is the one teaching us here that we should ask for anything in a way that could have the adjective good. And that's helpful because that means when we think of prayer, brothers and sisters, we shouldn't just think about praying for a specific situation or even specific issues or people. That, that is all great and good. But instead, prayer is most generally asking God for the furtherance of whatever he deems good in our lives and in our world and in the lives of those around us. Right? And that especially fits here in the Sermon on the Mount. Because what would be described as good in the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus so far? Well, basically, it'd be everything that Jesus has told us to do and be like. That's all good. And that's why, again, this passage really is about how in the world you and I can actually follow Jesus in this pretty detailed Sermon on the Mount. And how can we? Well, first, it's because the same Jesus who taught this came and lived a perfect life and died for the forgiveness of sins and rose and he still lives. And so now, if you really trust in Jesus, you have a father in heaven, you're adopted into God's family. And then also, though, we can follow Jesus because once we do genuinely trust in Jesus, we each have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, with us. And then finally, though, we can follow Jesus because enabled by the Holy Spirit, what we do is we ask our Father to help us, to help us with whatever's good, to more follow Jesus and love him and live for his glory. And what does God do? He always answers that prayer. Yes, in his own way, with his own specific timing and good things, but he always answers our prayer. Which finally, and and one more quick thing on this, if you just are interested in this, this is also why, very interestingly, just so you know, if you were to read the book of Luke, it's fascinating because there, there's a very similar teaching from Jesus that takes place. But in Luke's account, Jesus says this, listen to this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Hear the difference? Jesus repeats exactly the same teaching in Luke, except that time when he was teaching it, instead of being given good things from our Father, apparently Jesus wanted to teach us that our Father will respond to our prayers with the Holy Spirit. Now think about it. Why would that be? Well, it's because bringing this all together now, here in Matthew, Jesus says God responds with whatever is good to help us follow Jesus. But, but who ultimately even enables us to do that? Who, who enables us to engage in and do any good? Well, God, the Holy Spirit himself. And so if we ask God, he, he loves us and he gives us whatever's good, which is essentially the same thing as him basically giving us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so all that said, that is our passage, church. That's Jesus encouraging us to truly ask, seek, and knock, promising that our God loves and will answer. But again, even more foundational, that's Jesus telling us how we can follow him and who our God is actually like. Which finally, as we now come to a close, as I hinted out earlier, that finally does lead us to finish this morning, to conclude such a hopefully encouraging passage, but actually focusing one last time on Jesus's quick little phrase in verse 11, quote, if you then who are evil, who are evil, 
And it might seem weird to focus on that as we close, but I do think it's actually really helpful to do so because real quick, as we close on that phrase from Jesus about you and I being evil, it shows us at least three really important things to close. Three really important things. Number one, quickly, it shows us something about Jesus. And this is interesting because in verse 11, Jesus is very intentional. He doesn't say, we who are evil. Rather, he separates himself from us by saying, you who are evil, not including himself. And so really, even that phrase, in a way, does show us who Jesus is by showing us that Jesus knows he he isn't evil, (laughs) and he isn't. And that should actually be encouraging to you because that means we can trust what he's saying to us here. But then also, number two, that phrase also shows us that Jesus isn't evil, but guess what he knows? He he does know that we are evil. (laughs) And I know that may seem obvious, but when you think about it, it's so interesting that Jesus says that to, to us about us being evil here. Because it is really strange, right? Verse 11 is so encouraging and uplifting from Jesus, right? God loves you. He'll always give you whatever good you need. And so why add here, you are evil? (laughs) Well, I think it's not only to make his point about us compared to God, but it's also to show us Jesus knows we're evil, church. God knows you and I are evil. And yet, guess what? He still loves us. And that has huge implications, especially for prayer, because that means for all of this that we're talking about this morning to really be true for you and me and our praying, you and I don't need to hide who we are. Right? We don't need to pretend and put on our best faces and hide ourselves from God. No, he already knows we're evil. <laughs> right? And knowing we're evil, he's still like this towards us. And really, that's the point of the whole gospel. Which then number three and finally on this phrase, you who are evil, it does show us that once again, that us being evil, while God isn't, the truth is, I hope you know, you and I do not know best, church. We do not see things perfectly straight. We just don't. We are sinners. We're messed up. We may think we know best, but we don't. That's also finally why this passage is so encouraging because again, not only are we evil, but God loves us, but also while we do not know what is best, we can go and seek and ask and knock on the door of our Father who loves us and he will answer with whatever is actually best. And that is so encouraging as well. And so again, that is our passage, church. And so now after all of us have heard from Jesus this morning, let's just now go and be people who actually ask, seek, and knock Let's be people who really pray and pray for whatever's good. And finally, let's do it knowing that any love that we feel for others is just a tiny drip, a faint echo of God's love for you and for me in Christ right now. He really does love us. And knowing that, we can pray with joyful confidence, knowing that our Father being so for us in Christ, as Jesus says, he will Give good gifts to those who ask him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.